Welcome to Growth Marketing Today, where marketers, designers, and product owners level up their growth marketing chops from experts in today's top startups. Here's your host, Ramley John. Welcome to this episode of Growth Marketing Today. Today, I have Sarah Stockdale. She is the former director of global community growth at Tilt before they were acquired by Airbnb. She's also the principal at Sarah Stockdale Growth Consulting here in Toronto. Now, Sarah is a growth veteran who has experienced growing and scaling early stage venture back companies out of here in Toronto and all the way in Silicon Valley. I'm so excited to share with you this episode. She is definitely one sharp person, uh, one of the smartest growth marketers that I've, I've met. Now, in this episode, Sarah shares her growth process at Tilt before they were acquired by Airbnb. She also shares what she looks for in people when she's hiring for a growth team. And finally, she'll tell us how she gets her users addicted to her app. That's going to be fascinating. So don't leave. You got to listen to this episode. If you want tweetable quotes from this episode and you want a high-level outline to follow along, go to growthmarketing.today forward slash 023. This is episode 23. So that's growthmarketing.today forward slash 023. It's also on the link in the description. I don't want to hold you back anymore. Here is my chat with Sarah. Hey, everyone. I have here Sarah, Sarah Stockdale. How are you doing, Sarah? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on. No, it's awesome because I know that you have done some awesome growth thing. You're doing growth coaching. You were leading growth at Tilt.com before it was acquired by Airbnb, right? Yeah, I was, uh, I was leading the community growth efforts at Tilt International. Awesome. Before we start talking about you know, what you're doing now and what you're doing at Tilt, Can you tell me a little bit about your career journey so far? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think with most people that come to a growth career, we all have weird paths. No one gets here. Yeah, that's exactly. (laughs) It's so true. Like, No one goes to university for growth. That's exactly why like, I love asking that question because I've had like a biomedical engineer. I've had like a philosophy major. I've had like a traditional marketing major. I had a software engineer. So like… Oh yeah. I'm curious. What did you… Did you study marketing? What did you <laughs> sort of. Uh, <laughs> so I went through I went through school for communications and English, and then went to Ryerson and did a master's in professional communication. Cool. Thought I was going to do on air TV journalism, so I actually interned for MTV for a short period of time and was totally going down a very different path. And after grad school, when I graduated, I was offered a job with a big PR firm downtown. So kind of a very traditional path for someone coming out of that program. And a friend of mine was working at this tiny little accounting startup that no one had ever heard of, kind of in a basement. And uh, there's like 18 of them. And she was like, hey, you should meet my boss. And uh, I think you'd really like him. And I was kind of like, I don't know anything about accounting. I don't know anything about software. This doesn't really seem like it makes any sense, but I'll go for the coffee because I like to meet smart people. So I went and I met a very smart person and they offered me a very short-term, little weird little contract. <laughs> and instead of taking the full-time right. PR gig, I, I decided that I'd learn more if I, you know, worked with these kind of 18 smart people. Which company was that? Wave. Yeah, that's what I figured. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was so, thinking uh, Wave already, right? Yeah, so they're doing incredibly yeah, well. They're right. two, I think about 200, 250 person startup in Leslieville. And I'm, I'm so excited. They've done incredible things. I was there for two years. I got to work on a ton of different teams. And I found that user acquisition was where I had the most passion, was Mm. where I had the most drive. So that is where I doubled down and focused. And then I got to tilt actually by Twitter DM. No way, come on. Yeah, so then the uh, the head of international at uh, tilt 
DM'd me on Twitter to tell me that Tilt was coming to Canada. And it was called Crowd Tilt at the time. I'd never heard of it. And I ended up going for that coffee. And then nine interviews later, I was uh, working for Tilt in a tiny little So this, this is probably the first time I've heard anybody say they've gotten a first interview through Twitter DM. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is, so. Have you heard of other people? Is it- no, my career path is weird. So. No, so I love it. So you got a Twitter DM, nine interviews. Thanks. So what, yeah. nine interviews, they, they fly out somewhere else? Like uh, They actually flew some folks from San Francisco oh, to, wow. to interview a couple of us in Toronto. So it was hilarious. We had this tiny little office in this tiny little co-working space. It was the size of a closet. I was, you know, back to back with Kent. And they would, you know, we'd get slacks that are like, hey guys, margaritas on the roof. And it's like February in Toronto <laughs> in our closet. And we're like, ah, oh, we're not able to do margaritas the, the, that. That slack was from San Francisco. From San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. I was like, thank you for that invite. Can't make it. <laughs> we can't come. It's different and cold here. Right. You're in this, another, another a second basement <laughs> with, yeah. with Kent. Yep. And what was next? Yes. Yeah, so, we were kind of just dropped in Canada, a couple of us, as a growth experiment. It was a complete growth experiment from San Francisco. Hey, let's see if Canadians can use this thing. And let's see if these Canadians that we've hired can figure out how to, how to grow. <laughs> how to grow the brand, how to right. put together a user acquisition strategy, how to get in touch with college students, because that was the demographic that we were after. So one of the things that we did early days was we put together a brand ambassador program. Mm. With Emily. I remember yeah. Emily was chatting with me about that. Right? Emily was one of my very first ambassadors. Oh, wow, really? I think she told me that, yeah, I was a brand ambassador before she got hired on, right? Yeah, she was my very first Western brand ambassador and she was fantastic. And we ended up hiring her on uh, full-time later on. But yeah, so we found one of the easiest ways to get Tilt into the hands of our most active users was to go directly through college campuses and directly through college students themselves. Mm. Um, And that is getting students to evangelize a bank is a whole… That's, yeah, right, like… How sexy can it be? It's not sexy at all. So I have worked like very specifically for non-sexy financial technology companies. That's funny. But no, it was it was incredible. We figured out how to tap into college students, how to tap into their mm. networks, and how to get a really low cost per acquisition on a new college user through creating this community that then became global because we mm. were able to launch in the UK and Australia, uh, Netherlands, Nordics. And so Canada was the first expansion. Canada was the first international expansion country, yeah. And what was great was because we were the first international team, we were hands-on with all of the international launches. So you pretty much built the game plan. Yeah, we built the playbook. You played the playbook too. Like, here you go, Netherlands, here you go. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, yeah, it was great. I got to fly down to Sydney and work with Harry, who launched Tilt in APAC. So we just, it was an incredible trip. It Mm. was a really great, it was a great experience. I'm really grateful for it, so. Nice. For some of my listeners who don't know what Tilt.com is, what is Tilt? Totally. So Tilt was, uh, was Tilt is now Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> um, Airbnb acquired Tilt in February. But uh, Tilt was the easiest way for millennials to move money around. So mm. you could send money to friends. You could request money from friends if they owed you for a bill. And then you could also pool money as a group if mm. you all wanted to get concert tickets or if you were, you know, throwing a party and you wanted everyone to chip in $10, which is why it made sense to go after college students. They're in a really socially saturated environment. They're always, you know, exchanging money with each other for one thing or another. And so it was kind of a little bit Venmo, a little bit Mm. Kickstarter. It was kind of a a marriage of those kinds of technologies. In your role, there was 
What was your official title? <laughs> so uh, I was the director of global community growth. So I worked wow. alongside Kent, who headed up our marketing efforts, Mike, who is the head of growth for Tilt, and Tim, who is our head of international. And uh, as you know, I worked closely with Nick and with Emily and, <laughs> you know, fantastic team. Tell me about like Tilt. Like there's something special that happened there. You know, you're now like everybody's doing really well. They're leading up growth teams and doing growth coaching. Like, what was the magic that happened in that space? Like, it seemed like the people became like… Yeah, it was it was kind of a special team. So one of the reasons we all were attracted to Tilt was because of kind of the incredible things that some of the users were using it for. Right. So people were you know, seeing spikes in crimes in their neighborhood and then getting together with a whole bunch of their neighbors and tilting private security to drop… Oh. Yeah, to drop the crime rate in their neighborhood right. make them feel safer at night. So we saw this incredibly powerful community organizing tool that we could kind of, you know, Trojan horse in with college <laughs> parties. <laughs> so I think that that's what kind of attracted us. And when a bunch of people are attracted to kind of right. community goals and a community organizational tool, you get these really special people. Nice. And then also we're hustlers. So <laughs> <laughs> the reason that the interview process was so stringent and the reason I, I got to work with incredible people like, you know, Robin and Tim and Nick and Kent was because we were looking for special people mm. and we took the time to hire right. really incredible, incredible growth specific folks, but incredible folks in general. That makes a lot of sense. Now, I think you started to delve into uh, some of the tactics you did. What was the process for you to find like what to do next? Like mm-hmm. do you have a specific process in mind or specific frameworks that you, you use Yeah. So we took pieces from different playbooks that were successful on college campuses. So Facebook, Yik Yak, a lot of the brands that did a really good job of creating solid user growth on college campuses quickly. So we looked at a campus by campus playbook and we looked at market saturation. So we wanted to get to a certain percentage of students using Tilt on that campus before we saw viral organic growth there. And we had a whole bunch of tactics that we used to get to that point. They involved bringing on college campus ambassadors some Facebook advertising, working with partnerships with universities and student unions and faculties. And then we also did like guerrilla marketing on college campuses. (laughs) So our loyalty structure was based in points. We gave college students points for different activities. So we were able to incentivize whatever behavior we wanted. Mm. So what we found really useful and honestly, like low cost for us was if we incentivize students to chalk campus, to put posters up on campus, to put (laughs) post-it notes over outlets on campus so people would have to know about Tilt before they could plug their laptop in. So we had all of these little like guerrilla marketing tactics that we found kind of scrappy ways to measure their impact. But we did see if we had a marriage of a number of campus ambassadors with a certain amount of influence based on social graphs, plus large partnerships with the universities where we knew every single frosh was going to use Tilt five times in their first week. Like we wanted that um, cadence of usage and then the kind of guerrilla style physical marketing Mm. activations that we would run. And that would get us to a tipping point on campuses and we could move to the next one. How do you know which university or college to target first? Like, did you have like a set of like future, like things that you were looking out for factors and then like you graded them out of five and then it's like, oh yeah, we're going to go, we're <laughs> yeah. going to go to that one, right? We had matrices <laughs> for everything. We are type A. <laughs> yes, we definitely had a very specific way of targeting schools that right. we adapted over time based on new information, new data. We were looking for 
specifically schools that students lived within five kilometers of the university and they mm. had a high student life satisfaction. So they loved going to that school. They're more likely to be involved in on-campus activities right. and more likely to be easier to penetrate the groups that they right. were socially part of. Right. Schools like U of T were a little bit more challenging because they're yeah. a little bit more disparate. People leave at night. So we ignored kind of mm. urban specific campuses because, you know, the social saturation, the virality took a lot longer. Right. And it was expensive and we, you know, we didn't want to waste the money if we could find a college that it was easier at. Nice. Where did you find those insights? Like, you know, within five kilometers, that's that's very specific, right? <laughs> like it's not two You're kilometers, not two kilometers, it's not team. 10 kilometers, <laughs> it's not 15, it's five. Like there must have been some kind of like insight research or like just a gut check. Like, hey, mm-hmm. I feel like it's five kilometers around there they stay within they're more social yeah. they'll share things more often like how did you come up with those <laughs> things we wanted schools with large residence life programs because we knew where the students lived oh, it's and easier to we, target them if we could geo-target right. them exactly where they live right it's much easier to get a hold of them it's cheaper to get right. a hold of them and the physical marketing becomes easier yeah you don't have to you know disperse your you're making some chalk marketing <laughs> or some chalk things on the ground you don't have to do it too many times yeah exactly how about your growth team? Like your team specifically, what did it look like? You started mentioning people. Yeah. Were you directly involved in building that team out? Yeah. So the community growth team specifically was my responsibility. So we brought on Nick, who was one of our most important hires. He was fantastic. He was kind of my like second in command and ended up taking <laughs> over Canadian growth. Right. I find when you're hiring for growth, there are a couple things that I recommend looking for. The major one is resilience okay. <laughs> because you need someone to run through 10 brick walls before they find a door. Uh, You just need that person who is stubborn enough to find a solution to an impossible problem. I also, I like to hire empaths as growth leaders and growth executors because you need to empathize with users. You Mm. need to be able to understand where your users live, where they are, what they're feeling, and how interacting with your software is going to produce either dopamine or cortisol. I always always think of like notifications and emails as how do you produce more dopamine for your users? And if, (laughs) if you're a more empathetic person, you can understand human behavior. You're more likely to understand how to... Mm get people to be attached to a product. Like how do you make dopamine tied to happiness? How do you make users happier? Yeah, enjoy. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> An addiction, right? Yeah. And then that, <laughs> then you can kind of create addictive patterns in your user behavior. Addictive then, patterns. Yeah. We, we saw like uh, we're trying to… We're not doing anything bad. <laughs> it's not like cigarette or anything like that. But it's funny. No, no. Not that addiction. No, but it's still, no, but it's still funny how, how we talk about how can we get somebody… Addicted to my app. Because like, let me talk mm. about my dad. He's addicted to Facebook. He's absolutely <laughs> like, we went to Philippines. And like, he would like, try to find the closest Wi-Fi spot. So guess what? To check Facebook. Like, oh my gosh. So um, like, how do you get people addicted to an app? Like, how do you get that dopamine stuff? It depends on your app. So right. first, I think you have to work really hard at your product market fit. Um, mm. I work with a lot of startups now right. consulting. And the one thing that I find is… People need to talk to users a lot more than they actually do. Yeah, uh, You need right. to sit down and do product interviews. You need to do your user testing. You need to track user behavior through your funnel a lot more closely. And think about what problems are you solving? What pain are you solving? I'm always interested in products that are painkillers and not vitamins. Right. So if you're like, I'm going to make this so cool, <laughs> that's not interesting. If you're like, I'm going to solve this problem that you experience at least five times throughout your week. That's an interesting, Mm. that's an interesting startup for me. So with Tilt, I found we solved a pain of, I don't get paid back. Right. Like my friends don't pay me back for the, 
freaking internet bill or whatever it is. It's true. <laughs> so that, 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 that was like, that was right. an acute pain right. in their lives. Right. And $10 means a lot more to a second year college student right. than it does to a 35 year old professional. So, <laughs> so, so we were solving a pain there. And I think you have to build products that solve real user pain mm. and then identify the ways in which your user base talks about that pain and then talk to them in their language. Only send them emails and notifications when it's a value add to them. Mm. I think a lot of people communicate with users when it's a value add to the company. Yeah, the right. Business. Yeah. They're like, hey, we've got this new feature release. How do we get this person back to that? Yeah, yeah. Well, right. and as a growth person. Like, That's what you want. But like at the other end, yeah. when you empathize with the user, you're like, what's it in it for them? Exactly. What problem am I solving for them with this piece of communication, this blog post, this email, this notification? And what is the value that they're going to redeem from that? Because that's how you keep users in your funnel. And that's how you gain referrals, which mm. is one of the big ways that we grew at Tilt was through referral. Interesting. I never saw communication as a problem-solving vehicle, right? Yeah. Like I always saw it as a way to communicate value. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that that's how you actually see it. I want to go back to your interviews. Like, what kind of questions did you ask to validate the resiliency and the other things that you're looking out for? Yeah, definitely. I think with resiliency, tell me about a problem that you experienced for months at a time and yeah. how you solved it. Those kind of behavioral questions. I'm, I'm always interested in behavioral questions. People can kind of train out all of the other, what are your greatest strengths? What do you see yeah, you right. yourself in five years? Everybody's, I think, yeah, right. You know, those questions to me generally are crap. <laughs> they are. I want to know because they're pre- they're prepared for that. Like exactly when you told them something that they haven't prepared for, then it's like that's then you get you get an authentic, vulnerable answer right. at that point, and that I find is more telling of right more a better predictor of future behavior right than True. stock questions. The other thing is, and I was taught this from Tim, who is the head of international, is like grill references. So um, <laughs> like, all right. I highly write, please, please, please get references. Please, please, please call them. Please keep them on the phone for at least 30 minutes. You need these people to give you useful information right. about a candidate, not just kind of high level surface mm. comments. Right. And the more you dig and the more you are quiet on those reference calls, the more honest information mm. you're going to get about a potential candidate. Anything specific to ask those references? Like, oh, where behavioral question. Where did this person screw up? <laughs> no, 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 no. Because they're can you tell me a, can you tell me a time when this happened? Like, can you tell me about a time that they experienced, you know, a challenging problem and how did they solve it? And then you you can get specific to the things that you're looking for for that right. role. But I'm interested for growth. Yeah, resilience, a little bit of stubbornness, <laughs> uh, empathy, and then like metrics driven. So right. I want these people to care about care about the data. Be incredibly data focused. I was almost a little bit too obsessed with dashboards. Uh, I still am a little bit too obsessed, even on behalf of my client. (laughs) But uh, I want that, you know, the data-driven nature. And then the last piece is just like aptitude. Like they need to be bright. Mm. Um, People that are going (laughs) to solve problems quickly because you're you're thrown into the lion's den a little bit. Yeah, you don't have like a month to figure out a problem, right? No, that's a big red flag for me. You needed to solve it yesterday. (laughs) If they're like, I'm going to take my first 30 days and learn about the company. I'm like, no, 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 no. no. (laughs) Day two, you're executing. That's funny. Like break shit and figure it out and solve that problem. Hey, thanks for listening on this episode. And man, that was so good. One of the coaches said when she's hiring for a growth team, Sarah said she looks for resilience. She needs people who are stubborn enough to find a solution for impossible problems. I feel like that's one of the things with growth is there will be times when you just want to give up. You just want to tap out. And resiliency is really the key to pushing through the wall and getting the growth that you really are looking for. 
Now, if you want high-level outline again and quotes, man, there's so many good quotes here. Go to growthmarketing.today forward slash 023 or click on the link in the description of this podcast. And if you have any feedback or questions for me, just send me a short email at Ramley at Growth Marketing Today. Other than that, this is Ramley from Growth Marketing Today and keep on growing.